there, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today, The Psychology Report. Throwaway kids. Throwaway kids. I don't know if you know that term or even use that term. But it's a term that has become somewhat uh, used and popular in educational circles over recent years. A few years back, our local newspaper, the Fresno Bee, did a fairly extensive editorial on this population of kids. They called it our throwaway kids. I reacted to that um, editorial and drafted a uh, response and a what I call a strategy of intervention uh, for these kids and done some kind of thinking about it because I think it's a disturbing fact in our communities. It's a disturbing fact in our schools that we have kids that when they come to the high school years, we consider them throwaway kids. You know, these are kids that have major behavioral problems. These are kids that probably have limited resources within their home. These are kids that do not succeed in school. They don't even behave well in school. They aren't they don't have respect for teachers and authority. These are kids who just uh, do whatever they want. And no matter what the school rules and policies are, they do their own thing. These are kids that are defiant. These are kids that are failures, socially, academically, uh, morally, in all areas of life. These are kids that we generally have a fear when we're around them. We experience a fear. We experience a a dislike when we have to deal with them. I mean, it's a tough population of kids. These are the kids that eventually show up in gangs. These are the kids that eventually show up in jail, in prison, in juvenile hall. You know, these are the kids that show up in neighborhoods as homeless. Uh, These are the kids that are failures in our community and failures in our school system and our churches and our homes. We all have to take a sense of responsibility for it. And for them. But you know, when you look at this issue of um, the throwaway kids, you know, we can, I think, prevent the issue. We can prevent this. We know from our research, this is an interesting point, that we know from our research that by third grade, we know who will be a throwaway kid by the time they get to the high school. We know that. We know in third grade. But schools do little, homes do little. Families do little. Communities do little for these kids. We kind of ignore it, if you will. We overlook it. We hope for the better. We might toss a bone and give them maybe a special class or kind of a pull-out experience at school where they get a little extra help in reading or maybe in speech or maybe in language. But they don't get a consolidated, extensive program to prevent them from becoming a throwaway kid. Unfortunately, schools don't like them. Schools don't like to deal with them. And they're expensive to provide services. So they're not a welcome population of kids in our school system. The throwaway kid. Can you imagine? Now, over the past, um, I was just trying to calculate this, but something maybe 10 years, if you will, I have seen in my clinical office several of these kids. And, um, you know, maybe it's more than even several. Now, some of them you do the best you can. 
Families don't follow through. They don't follow through. They won't come for second sessions, third sessions, or whatever. But there are a number of them that I have worked with for an extended period of time. In some cases, 10 years. In some cases, 5 years. And I'm facing a young little boy today who is in ninth grade. And he's reading at the third grade level, at the best. Probably really at the second grade level. And I called a school on this kid. He's a throwaway kid. And I talked to school psychologist at the school. And here's what the school said. Well, we are giving him a little extra help in a special class. What more do you want us to do? <laughs> what a crazy attitude. What a defeated attitude. What a hands-off attitude that school has on these kids who are throwaway kids. This is a, this is a throwaway kid. He's in ninth grade. And finally, the mother is coming and desperately asking for some help. She's going around in various places. She's been turned down in a number of different counselors and turned down by school officials for extra assistance. So finally, she came to my office and I said, let's, let's go to work on this. Let's see what we can develop, what kind of strategies we can develop, and let's see where we can go with it. And if I can get her commitment to move forward, there's lots of things that can be done. But it takes somebody to be the driver of it. It takes somebody to be the organizer of it and takes a parent that is really committed to the future of their kid. Schools aren't. So parents have to be. So we can educate these kids. We can support them. We can love them. We can encourage them. You know, governments can't make a kid go to school. Governments can't make a kid behave in school and not talk out of turn or to be respectful. Governments can't do that. Okay? It's going to have to be the school. And unfortunately, the teachers who would like to provide that kind of support and background for their kids are not backed up by the administrators. This is a, a sad fact that teachers who have these kids who are these throwaway kids do not get the backup from administrators that they deserve and should have. And that would be helpful for these kids if they had that kind of backup. So what kind of help do these kids need? What kind of help would you provide these kids if you were a teacher, or if you were an administrator, if you were a principal, if you were a superintendent, if you were a board member of a school, if you were a parent of one of these kids? What kind of help would you provide for them? And what, what would you do to give them a chance in life even though they're not in third grade anymore, they're in sixth grade, or they're in junior high school, or they're starting their high school years, what would you do? Well, the sooner you start, the better, obviously, right? The sooner you start, the better, obviously. So if you have a throwaway kid that is, if there's any chance this kid will not be a success in school, if there's any chance this kid's going to have a learning problem, any chance this kid's going to have a social problem, this is a potential throwaway kid, and you need to do some things to work with that kid. Well, okay, it starts with school readiness. Let's go to number one. It starts with school readiness. You know, we know when a kid is ready for school. We've done this for years and years and years. We know when a little boy is ready to start kindergarten or first grade. We know when a little girl is ready for kindergarten or first grade. We know that. But, you know, we often violate it. You know, parents put pressure on to start the kid when he's really not ready. So schools need to be strong and stand up and say, this kid is not ready for kindergarten. This kid is not ready for first grade. So we're not going to start him later. We're going to wait a year and start him. And in the meantime, we're going to put him into some kind of a program that we call a preschool program. 
that these kids can mature and they can get some initial learning, some initial success in learning, and give them a little better start than they would if they had started school when they should have or according to their chronological age. So number one, school readiness has to be taken seriously. We have the research. We know when kids are ready, and we know when kids are not ready, and we need to develop a mindset that you don't start school until you're ready. Okay, that's number one. Number two is these kids that are at high risk, the parents and teachers need to pull together and have a family meeting, if you will, have an intervention, have a school conference every single year, three to four times a year for 10 years. In other words, the principal, the teachers, the key teachers, the school psychologists, the school learning directors, special education program directors, uh, maybe a probation officer even if they've gotten involved with the law, CPS if they're involved in the case, family members, grandparents, anybody interested in the success of this kid should form together and come together as a team and commit themselves to working with these high-risk kids starting at least at grade three. So when, that, when a kid is determined at grade three that he's a high risk and is likely to be more of a behavioral problem than an academic success, we need to start to pull together a task force of these kinds of support people and ask them to commit themselves to the future education of this child for a 10-year span. And that task force is called together to meet at the school with the school, with the relevant school personnel, three to four times a year. And we'll see some positive results if that takes place. That doesn't take place today, by the way. That's a rarity to take place. Now, here's the third point. Every one of these kids at risk needs special help. They all have special needs. Some need help in speech. Some need help in language development. Some need help in their physical mobility. They need physical therapy, basically. Some need help in their coordination. They need occupational therapy. Some need help in their social management. They need, they need psychological or sociological assistance and help and counseling. They need to have training in learning how to relate to kids of their age. In other words, these kids that are at risk in grade three and continue on the educational system need to be provided all the relevant special services that they need and if the school can't provide it it's got to be provided in the private sector of that community the private therapists of that community and that task force needs to get that referral going and get that support system going and get that special help going for these kids we cannot let these kids just flounder that's what usually is what happens. But we have to refer them to all the various kind of special help that they need. And at certain ages, they need certain kind of help. And at other ages, they need other kind of help. And at other ages, they need other kind of help. Over a 10-year period of time, all the various helps and resources and assistance that these kids need should be provided. 
And that task force is the one that kind of organizes that and makes it happen. Here's another thing. When kids are at risk and kids are having school trouble, behavioral problems, academic problems, social problems, behavioral problems of all kinds, there's a couple of kind of books they ought to be required to read and parents ought to be required to read. Here's one, Help Me Be Good. It was authored by Jan Bolton and it's published by the Scholastic Book Club. Now, that's a book that helps children make decisions, make choices. Help me be good. Help me make the right choices and the right decisions. And a kid should be required to read that. Parents should be required to read that. Parents and children together should be required to read that. Every school teacher who has these kids in their classroom should be required to read that and use the material in the classroom as it fits and as it's relevant. Basically what we're talking about here is teaching children and teaching parents emotional intelligence. Now I have a book. I've written a book on emotional intelligence. And uh, living life at its best is what I've called it. And here's a book for kids who are in trouble, who are throwaway kids, for parents of these kids. Learn how to be empathetic. Learn how to be compassionate. Learn how to be caring. Learn how to be responsible. Learn how to be um, a giver of services, a provider of services. You know, learn some of the skills of social relationships, of communication and of talking and of being assertive and having the right values and so on. These are books that are written for that point. And these kids and these parents of these kids and teachers of these kids need to have those books in their possession and read them and study them and use them in working with these kids, okay? Now, let's move on. I think that it's also important that parents of these high-risk kids, throwaway kids, should be required to take parenting classes. How to become an effective parent. Now, every community has parenting classes. They're often available in the county mental health, or sometimes schools make them available. They're available in the private sector. There are classes in churches to help parents become an effective parent. And if a community doesn't have it, they need to do some development of that. The community leaders need to make sure that we have these kind of classes available in every community. But parents of these kids should take classes in how to parent, how to be an effective parent. And at least buy my book, Doctor Teach Me to Parent. At least do that. It's on my website, booksbyhedberg.com. But every parent should have a source, a class, or a book that they use to guide them in their parenting of these high-risk kids. Okay? Now, here's another factor. Schools. They need to develop what is called the IEP, Independent Educational Plan, or Individual Educational Plan, or what is called a 401 Plan to guide the teachers in how to provide special assistance and help to these kids who need special help. Now, that's not good enough. The problem is that you develop these plans and some teachers follow them. Some teachers don't. Some kids uh, benefit and some don't. But that's a start. But it's this task force that I refer to, of parents and teachers and 
uh, all the resources of the community available and so on, they all come together and develop this plan of education for the child and then see that it's implemented, to follow it up, not one year, but for 10 years, and to modify it according to the needs of the child as they go through the educational system year upon year. So we need some kind of a organism, some kind of a document that pulls together the plan that is being implemented. And it's called a 401 plan or it's called an IEP, an Individual Education Plan. And if your child is in that, that plan should be written out and should be the dictated way that that child receives any form of special assistance. Okay? Now, one other thing, as a parent, you have a lot of choices. If your child is at risk, you have a lot of choices. Sure, you can send them to the public school, which may be the worst thing you could ever do. Might be the best thing you ever did. But you have to think about that. But sure, you can send them to the public school. But you can also send them to a charter school. You can send them to a private school. You can send them to a boarding school. You can send them to an online school. Online internet school. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can educate your child today that you didn't have just 10 years ago. So consider the alternatives and check with people and consult people. And this task force of these people who are working with you over your child can come together and make the best recommendation as to where that child needs to be at school. Maybe one year this child needs to be in the public school. Maybe another year the child should be in a private school. Maybe another year the child should be in online education. You know, whatever it might be. But there are alternatives, and, and the best alternative needs to be decided year upon year upon year. Because what's good one year may not be good another year. Okay? And I'm going to tell you another thing. Once a child hits grade 7... If this child is at risk, if this child has learning problems, if this child has social problems, if this child has academic problems of any kind, start drug testing at grade 7. Do random drug testing. If you're concerned, you might want to do a random test once a month or a couple times a month. If you're not concerned, you may just want to do it several times during the year. But start drug testing these kids at grade 7. The drug users of our society, on the average, start the use of drugs at age 14. We have all these politicians that say, well, we're going to bring all the marijuana into our state, but we're not going to let people use it until they're 21. <laughs> kids that use drugs start at age 14. That's the starting point. So if you got a kid in grade 7 and you're concerned and you see odd behavior and you see academic failure and you see social problems developing and disrespect of parents and parents' authority and you see any odd behavior of extra sleeping and extra moping around and depression, start drug testing at grade 7. And continue that all the way through high school. Make sure that you're on top of that issue. Don't let it get by and just be ignorant or to be blasé about it and think your child is not using drugs when in fact your child may be regularly using drugs. And the research shows in marijuana, 
one month of usage and the child's addicted. One month of usage and we have the basis of addiction to marijuana. That child is using drugs and marijuana for one month, two to three times a week. That's when addiction sets in. So it's a highly addictive drug. And our kids get addicted early in life. And we can't overlook that as parents and as teachers. So we need to have a wide range of alternatives in our educational system. We need to utilize all the options available. We need to use all the resources available. We need to use all the people who can help and the support people. We need to have meetings and meetings and meetings. We need a, a good therapist, preferably a psychologist or a social worker, who will just grab this kid and develop this kid over a 10-year period of time. It's a commitment, and it's costly, but it's a commitment. You save a kid. And if you don't do that, you lose a kid. And then we end up with these, what we call the throwaway kids. We don't want to have throwaway kids anymore. Okay? We want to have kids that are honorable. We want to have kids that are respectful. We want kids that are obedient. We want kids that are compliant. We want kids that are respectful. We want kids that succeed, achieve. We want kids that have a future. We want kids that will enter into our community and be leaders. We want kids that will be uh, productive on the production line or wherever they work. They're employed. We don't want these kids that are slow to grow up or never to grow up. You know what they do? If they don't, they tend to look for a woman who will take care of them. They don't live with them. They don't marry them. They often just live with them. Or if they do marry them, they want a woman that's older and mature and will take care of them. They're dependent kids. So they find somebody that will take care of them. They don't work. They don't go to school. They hang out. They play hours and hours on their uh, smartphones and the games and uh, social media and just hang out, drink, drug use. And they find somebody that will take care of them. It might be a parent that will take care of them and overlook all that kind of behavior. Or they'll find a girlfriend that will overlook all that behavior and just take care of them. That's the outcome of these kids. And it's disastrous for everybody involved. Well, this has been the Psychology Report and uh, a topic that is critical, very, very critical to our communities, to our country, to our homes, to our schools. And unfortunately, we have not pulled together to meet the needs of these kids and to deal with their problems and their issues. We are not prepared to do that. We don't do that sufficiently and adequately. So wherever you are, wherever you live, and whatever your school system is, look out and see if they can develop these kind of programs. Vocational programs ought to be in every school system, in every community. Many of these kids will never become academicians. They'll never learn it academically, but they may learn it vocationally. So that's the kind of help that often these kids need to turn to, and it needs to be available, whether it's through sports or whether it's through music or whether it's through mechanics or whether it's through welding or whatever it might be. They need to have alternative ways to educate themselves, mature themselves, and be productive in the community in which they live. 
Hey, nice to have you with me today. Uh, Dr. Teach Me to Parent is my book. You get that on my website, booksbyhedberg.com. And this has been the Psychology Report. Thanks for joining me. And tomorrow morning is Saturday at 10 o'clock. Go to centralvalleytalk.com, centralvalleytalk.com at 10 o'clock in the morning. My television program will be there. Join me in the discussion of parenting within the home. And tomorrow we have a special guest, and we're going to look at the issue of pornography in the home. Pornography in the home. So tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning, Pacific Standard Time. Join me, centralvalleytalk.com. Bye for now.